0: Well, good morning, brothers and sisters and and young people. Thank you so much for inviting me and my family to this beautiful part of the world. And we're looking forward to sharing God's word with you this week around the letter that goes to the Ecclesia at Thessalonica. You know, brothers and sisters, it's a very interesting part of Scripture because it is the commencement of the second missionary journey. Shall we just open up our Scriptures, please? And I just want to show you a lovely build-up to Acts chapter 16. And it's worth just noting these in your Scriptures because there's a particular emphasis now that plays out right through to Acts chapter 16. So here then, with absolute deep frustration, the Apostle Paul here in Galatia, you see there at the end of verse 46 of chapter 13 he says lo we turn to the Gentiles for so hath the Lord commanded us saying I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles that thou shouldest be for salvation until the ends of the earth and we know from that particular verse that the Apostle Paul is now the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 49 what a A wonderful thing that is. Now, if you turn over a page um, and you go down to the end of chapter 14, the same theme is picked up here. Uh, when they come again to Antioch in Galatia, when they were come and gather the Ecclesia together, they rehearse all that God had done with them and how he'd open the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And then you go to chapter 15 and verse 14, Simeon declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. So there is a builder, there is building, building, building until we get to Acts chapter 16, that the commencement of Paul's second second missionary journey and the question is where is Paul going to go? He knows he's going to go out to the Gentiles, but where is he going to go? Where is he going to be sent to be this fulfilment of Isaiah 49? And he, he, he gathers, doesn't he? His dear companions, Silas and Timothy, but the question is, where do they go? So let's pick up the narrative then in, in verse 6 of Acts chapter 16. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they were come into Mycenae, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. We we read those words rather quickly, but I want to show you what is going on here. Notice as they travel through Galatia there at the end of verse 6, they are forbidden by the Holy Spirit. And the Greek gives the idea, under no uncertain terms were they to preach. There is an active agent here directing their paths. It literally means a complete ban. And so they swing north and they go to Mycenae, being told that they can't preach in Asia. But something else happens here. At the end of verse 7, the Spirit suffered them not. So the Spirit of God restricts them from preaching in Asia and now you've got the Spirit there At the end of verse 7, suffereth them not. Now that's rather interesting. I'd like you to to make a note there because the spirit there, if you look in your margin, you will have the spirit of Jesus. In fact, that little phrase, the spirit of Jesus, only occurs twice in your scripture here and in the book of Philippians. Philippians. Now that's fascinating, isn't it? Because the Apostle Paul is going to write to the the ecclesia at Philippi and he's going to remind them how he arrived there because on the first Gentile ecclesia that Paul's going to arrive to, it's going to be Philippi, isn't it? And then it's going to be Thessalonica after he's been to Berea. So it's the spirit of, e, of, of Jesus that is taking um, an active interest here. And, and so what I want us to know, and, and, and what I want you to picture in your minds, is that now the Lord Jesus Christ is taking an active interest in directing the apostle Paul. Here the Lord Jesus Christ is sat at the right hand of the Father, and you, you can picture him very similar to the speech of Stephen, where now almost the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ is standing up and he's taking great interest in directing Paul to this Ecclesia. And this Ecclesia, the Philippians and now the Thessalonians, which we're going to be looking at, God willing, this week, this is going to be really the launch pad, brothers and sisters, of the truth spreading around the world. This is why we're here in Malatul, in this remote part of the world, may I say. Yet we have received the Gospel because of Acts chapter 16 and Isaiah 49. And so, this week and this morning in particular, we are reading about ourselves. Brothers and sisters, this should fill us with joy. This is a great privilege that we have received. The Lord Jesus Christ now is taking an active interest to ensure that we ultimately receive the gospel message. Now, it's also rather fascinating, isn't it? In verse 8, and they passing by Nicaea, they came to Troas. Just jot something else in your margin 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12. And and have a look at that in your own time. It's a rather interesting connection because what we read later on in Paul's missionary journey is that when Paul arrived at Troas, he, he writes that the doors of the gospel just opened up. He's saying that when he arrived at Troas, there was a great response of the Gentiles. So why is it, brothers and sisters, why is it that the Lord Jesus Christ now is actively involved in, and, 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 and really ensuring that they get to the Philippian ecclesia at great haste? Because there's not a moment to waste, brothers and sisters. We're going to see in a moment. There's not a moment to waste. There's something rather urgent in the language that we're reading here. Now, if we pick up now in verse nine, we have really the title of our exhortation, the introduction for our theme this week: the man of Macedonia. And there we read, and a, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. He's at Troas. He's not going to stay there very long, though the the gospel message is going to take root there later on in Paul's missionary work. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, and prayed him, saying, "Come over into Macedonia." And help us. Well, there's a few little things I'd like you to notice here. Well, the well, first thing that we notice is that um, it says that this man of Macedonia, he prayed him. If you've got the revised version, you'll see standing beseeching him. And that's actually a far more accurate translation. I want you to picture in your minds. Here is the Apostle Paul at Troas, a place where the gospel is going to take root. And he receives this vision, a man of Macedonia. And this man of Macedonia is not just beseeching him, but the picture is he's sat there on a chair. He gets up off his chair and he approaches Paul and then speaks to him in a very intimate way. So there's something very personal about this vision. And it's a personal vision. And notice also it says, appeared in the night. See that? It appeared in the night. So we've got this man of Macedonia, he sat on a stool and he gets up and he has this very intimate conversation with the Apostle Paul and it's in the night and for whatever reason the translators have translated that word in. It's the Greek word dia, D-I-A, for those taking notes. And over 200 times in the New Testament when that word is used, it's used of throughout or through. And so what we've got here is a lovely, lovely picture. You've got this picture of man from Macedonia, and he gets up off his store, and he's coming over to the apostle, and he's having this intimate conversation, and he's doing it throughout the night. This goes on and on and on. It's a repeat dialogue. There is going to be no confusion about this. The apostle Paul now is is being compelled to go. This is the love that the Lord Jesus Christ is really personally expressing to the apostle Paul, a man who's going to take on the sufferings of him to Rome. And here it's all beginning, a man to the Gentiles. Well, we'll notice the use of um, pronouns here as well, which is rather fascinating. notice just just uh, just glance down and just notice how these pronouns are used and remember it is luke that is writing these words so notice how the word we is used in verse 11 and 12 and 13 it's twice in verse 13 actually and then can you see how it changes to us in verse 14 15 16 and 17 And then from then on, from verse 20 onwards, it's them. And then verse 38 onwards, it is they. Now, that's interesting because, remember, it is Luke who is writing this. Now, with those thoughts in mind, look at verse 10. After he, the man of Macedonia, had seen the vision, immediately we endeavoured to go. So, what we're being told here is that Luke accompanied Paul and Silas and Timothy after the vision of the man of Macedonia. Now, that's fascinating because we know from historical culture that men and women of Macedonia, they weren't at all uh, distinctive in their dress from Greeks. There would be nothing different in the appearance of a man from Macedonia in a vision, yet it says here in verse 9, that it was a man from Macedonia, and the Greek is a certain man, it's a particular man, it's a distinctive man, it's a man that Paul knew. And so I'd suggest the fact that Luke was out there in Macedonia, the fact that Luke is the writer, and the fact that the pronoun changes, I would strongly suggest that it is Luke that is this man from Macedonia. It could well be an angel, but it's my own personal view that it's Luke. And it's Luke now who accompanies the Apostle Paul And he travels and then the way that the pronoun changes, Paul leaves on after Philippi to the Thessalonians and it's Luke who stays behind. And that would be an explanation, wouldn't it? That would be an explanation of how this pronoun is being used. And that's important, isn't it, brothers and sisters? That's not merely academic. That's important to picture in our minds what is happening at the beginning of this second missionary journey. Well, when we come to verse ten, after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go to macedonia so there's a real um, statement of intent here it's something very purposeful that they want to get to Macedonia, following this great vision, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel for them now now again, i'd like you to note that expression the Lord i don't know why the translators are translated that were the Lord. It should be translated God. So if you would, just underline that and put God in your margin because what we've got here is something very compelling. We've got the Spirit of God working We've got the Lord Jesus Christ working and now, in summary, it is God working. All the agents that's at the the disposal of Almighty God are now working on Paul. Can you see that, brothers and sisters? It's Almighty God, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit here as agents of God's power. They're all working on Paul. This is how deliberate this is in, in the purpose of God. Paul had to be here. In Philippi, something rather dramatic is going to begin. Now, when we come to verse 11, therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to, um, eventually to Neapolis. Now, that loosing from Troas what we're being told here, that providentially there was a boat there, leaving for Troas immediately. And this is something that we should all just think about, brothers and sisters. Providential timing. We've all experienced providential timing. When you look at your wives and your husbands there in your rows and you think about how the two of you come together, it's providential timing. Your children parents, everything, ecclesial life, everything is about providential timing and there's something here about providential timing that everything was there ready for Paul to get there to Philippi in great haste. Now now brothers and sisters I don't know if you've ever experienced um, a moment like this where you really feel that the Lord is working in your life and you're going to make a a deliberate decision and you know it's going to be a difficult decision to make but you really feel that you're being moved to do something and so then you prayerfully commit to that action and when it happens... And when you prayerfully commit to something, the results are not what you're expected. Have you ever experienced that, brothers and sisters? A few nods of heads. I'm sure it's the case. When we feel that God is directing us in a particular way and we commit ourselves faithfully and then it doesn't quite turn out as we were expecting. And and brothers and sisters, it's not that. That's not the particular problem. It's the way we respond to that situation is what God is expecting. And, and this is no different with Paul because as he travels in great haste to Philippi, what happens when he arrives? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You've got the Spirit of God, you've got the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got Almighty God, you've got the, you've got the boat there in Troas and, he, and, he, and he's compelled across the waves. And, and he arrives to Macedonia. And there's nothing. Have you ever experienced that, brothers and sisters? Maybe in our campaigns, when we all get so excited and we, we, we come together like the, like the time of Nehemiah and, and, and there's no response. And, and, and it's so easy to feel absolutely downcast and broken-hearted. That's not how God works, though, is it, brothers and sisters? It's because something quite wonderful is about to happen. He just didn't realise it at the time. So let, let's pick up the account now. When, when Paul arrives here, so then, with these high hopes and expectations, verse 13, And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the woman which resorted thither. Well, will you know by careful reading of the life of the Apostle Paul that even after the time when Paul had announced that he's going to the Gentiles, his routine was always to go to the synagogue first. We know that in Acts chapter 13 in Antioch when he'd already made the statement that he was going to go to the Gentiles, the pattern was always to the synagogue first. That's interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus said salvation is of the Jew. Every Gentile has to appreciate that salvation is based upon the hope of Israel in the promises through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And this is why. As Christadelphians, we are dedicated to the hope of Israel. This is what makes us distinctive amongst all the religious groups around the world. And here, this Gentile, this Lady Lydia, is going to learn that. But Paul couldn't go to any synagogue, could he? That's why he goes down to the river. And we know under Jewish custom, it always required ten men, ten men in any city, for a synagogue to be established. It all goes back to the time of Abraham where where, uh, Abraham was speaking to God and and, and God said, I'm looking for ten men. If, If there's ten men, I will spare that city. That's where the idea comes from. And so the tradition was that there were always ten men in any city and if there were ten Jewish men in any city, then there would be a synagogue. So we're being told here implicitly that there weren't even ten men and that's why the Apostle Paul goes down to the riverside to pray and that was the tradition, you know when Jews didn't have synagogues, they would purchase strips of land by a river, flowing water so that they could perform their, semin- their, their ceremonies of, and their rituals of purification. And, and, and this is the reason why these Jews are down at the riverside. But, but why is it? Why is it, brothers and sisters, that there were no Jews? Well, this is what I love about Scripture, because you just look at it and all the details are there. The explanation's there. We don't need any other sources. Verse 12 of Acts chapter 16, brothers and sisters, it tells us that it was a colony. And being a colony, it means that it was a mini-Rome. It's ruled by Caesar. And all the, the Roman customs, even of language, were there. And so if you're a Jewish... Man with a young family, would you want to live there in a, in a Roman city surrounded by, at most time, uh, veteran soldiers that retire out of Rome and they go to live out the end of their days in these colonies, would you want to live there? I don't think I would, brothers and sisters, if I was a Jew 2,000 years ago. Well, if you go over a few pages to Acts chapter 18, there's another explanation because given the fact that Philippi was a mini-Rome, it was a colony, um, we read these words, don't we? Uh, verse 1 of Acts chapter 18, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, and lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Now this is the important point in, in, in parenthesis because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. Now that's really interesting. History tells us that that took place. Emperor Claudius made a decree in AD 49 that there were to be no Jews in Rome. Now given that Philippi was a colony, I would suggest that perhaps Philippi followed suit. So there is an explanation, a perfect explanation why there were no Jewish men. Not not only was it going to be difficult for for Jews to live in a colony with all these retired veteran soldiers of Rome, these men who had had fought in the heat of battle for the Roman Empire, but the fact that it was a colony, perhaps after AD 49, this colony followed suit, and so then it was banned for any Jewish man to be there. And so there was no synagogue to go to because there were not even ten men, only women, only women in Philippi. And so then Paul, on the Sabbath day, makes his way down to that place of tradition, a place at the riverside where ceremonies of purification took place and there he's going to come across some Jewish women and a a Gentile in search for the truth of Israel. Come back to Acts chapter 16 then. And on the Sabbath, we read in verse 13, we went out of the city by a river, by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. Have a look at that word prayer there. And it's not prayer, actually, in the Greek. You'll see in your margin, it is the place of prayer. It's the Greek word prosuké. Now, this is interesting. It's a place of prayer. In fact, the revised version tells you that it should be a place of prayer. So there's an emphasis here that it's not just prayer, it's a place of prayer. It's been appointed by the Jews as a, as a place of prayer by the riverside, given there's no synagogue. And so it's at the place of prayer that women gather together to pray. It's at the place of prayer. You go there to pray. It wasn't just that they were praying by the riverside. They go to the place of prayer pray there's something very deliberate about this section of land you pray there now with those thoughts in mind we come across Lydia verse 14 and a certain woman named Lydia a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira which worshipped God heard us whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul so, so one of these women then a Gentile women she, she, she makes her way down to the riverside and she knows that that's the place of prayer. She knows that women will be there. Jewish women are going to be there committing themselves to prayer. Now, now this woman is Lydia from Thyatira, a city in Asia Minor. Now that's fascinating, isn't it? Because in my opening remarks, I said in verse 6 that Paul was banned to go to Asia Minor. Yet you have... Here, almost ironically, the very place that Paul was banned to visit, you have a woman from that very place there in Philippi. And this is how providence works, brothers and sisters and young people. Uh, God didn't want Paul to meet Lydia in her hometown. He wanted to meet Lydia at Philippi. There was something about Lydia in Philippi with Gentiles that, that was, was in God's plan. And we're going to see that she becomes a catalyst for the first Ecclesia of the Gentiles. It's interesting that her name is Lydia. We know again, if we look at Roman culture, that slaves were often called by the place that they were enslaved. So there's a little hint here that this woman Lydia uh, came from Lydia and she was a slave that had been made free. Now what's rather fascinating, I can show you after, there were two laws that were made that that, that allowed women to be active in business. And they were both passed by the time this book was written. And it related to a woman with three children or a woman with four children, so she had a household. And she could be made free by her owner. And she could then be engaged in business without any man there um, as 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 guiding the transaction. So again, there's another reason why this woman was a businesswoman on her travels. It would suggest to me at least that she was a slave. And she would be made free, and she was a prosperous slave. And she is a seller of purple, notice there in verse 14. And, and Thyatira was situated in the, the kingdom of Lydia, and Thyatira was known for its purple. In fact, anyone who does any um, briefest of studies on archaeology will know that Thyatira was incredibly well known for its purple industry. Again, things that have been found over the last hundred years. Come and chat to me afterwards. I've got lots of slides on the history of Thyatira. So she's a woman of the purple industry, a woman known, the Lydia or the Lydian woman from Thyatira. Now, now, what was purple, this, this fine purple? There were various gradations of purple but the finest of purple here uh, came from the murex fish and it actually took 10,000 little murex mollusks or shells to be crushed to make one garment or one toga and the toga was the, the dress of the day. You wrap it over your shoulders and everyone in the Roman Empire wore these togas. Now what's interesting is that the amount of purple that you would have on your toga defined your status in society to the point that if you wore the Trebia you were the Roman emperor and your entire toga was purple. So the military wore it. The high priest wore it. The emperor wore it. Senior business people wore it. They all wore purple to inform people that they were men of substance, men of high standing. So Lydia then, here in Philippi, and if you look in a map you'll know that Philippi is on the the Via Ignatia Road, a, a road that connected the whole of Asia. It would have been a a city of hustle and bustle. It would have been a, a place of high activity where all the great and the good came. And so a picture is being painted, brothers and sisters and young people, that this woman, Lydia, was a woman of high standing and she had many, many connections. And she's about to give it all up for the Lord Jesus Christ. She would have known dignity, she would have met men of high standing. She would have known the celebrities of her day. And she was a woman of great, great prosperity, it would appear. So this is the woman that's being painted here. Now, now, with all that, with all that high standing, with all those business connections, what does she do, brothers and sisters? What does she do, young people? Well, she makes her way down to the riverside to pray on the Sabbath day. To the very people that had become alienated from Roman society, with all these bans going on across the Roman Empire to evict the Jews, there this woman, she makes her stand. And she stands with these Jewesses on the Sabbath day. The day of the Jewish religion. So that's the first commitment that she makes there. And, and, And notice in verse 14, it says there that... She worshipped God. This is an illustration of her priorities. She worshipped God. And, And it says there, she attended unto the things that were spoken of by Paul. Now, if you look in your margin, you may have the revised version. It gives the idea of giving heed. In fact, Vine in his dictionary says, devotion of work and effort to a thing. Paul uses this word when he writes to Timothy, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, in 1 Timothy 4 verse 13. So, So this word, attended, is the idea of meticulous attention. She was listening to every single word that Paul made. Now, in this picture that we have, that she's attending to every single word, she comes to this place of prayer, doesn't she?, and, and isn't it fascinating now, given that I've just drawn that picture, that the word attended in the Greek is prosukura. So she goes to the place of prayer, prosuke, and she attended to the words of poor prosukura. The Greek is suggesting that there's a link between this place of prayer. And the attendance that she gave to the words of Paul when Paul arrived there on the Sabbath. And what I would suggest, brothers and sisters, that there is a linkage to this place of prayer and attending to the words. And this is what I believe. And this is why Almighty God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit there were active in getting Paul to Philippi. Because there she is there. She's there on the Sabbath day. And she has her eyes closed. I want you to imagine this. She has her eyes closed. And she's praying. She's at the house of prayer and she's praying and she opens up her eyes and miraculously, right there and then, providentially, Paul is standing in front of her and then he begins to expound God's word at the riverside on the Sabbath day and she listens to every single word. Why? Because she immediately realizes that what this man is saying at the riverside on the Sabbath is the answer to her prayer. That's providence. That's perfect timing, isn't it? Isn't that lovely? And there she listens to this complete stranger. Now, there's something else just to um, build upon this picture here because it says, whose heart the Lord opened. Can you see that in verse 14? Whose heart the Lord opened. Now, that word heart there and open, we're going to look at that in a moment. But the word I want you to notice is the word heard. Which worshipped God and heard whose heart the word Lord opened. That the word heard there is actually in the imperfect tense. And if it's in the imperfect tense it means that she was always listening. Ah, that, that's fascinating isn't it? She, she's there at the riverside and she's listening to the words of Paul. But the word, the Greek word that's being used there is that she is Always listening. How how can we explain that? Well, let me suggest something else. She'd been praying and praying and praying and she'd been hearing and hearing and hearing. She's listening out to God's message and then finally she makes her way down to the riverside and the very vessel of God's service is there to expound the truth. Uh, And isn't that a powerful exhortation, brothers and sisters? We we expect in our lives that we're going to have these dramatic moments. We've been looking at the life of Elijah during um, kids' count this past week. We we expect, don't we, these dramatic moments. We've got to commit ourselves in faith in order to be directed. We, we, We can't expect for these sudden moments of God's intervention. God is expecting something from us. Think about all the things that Paul did in order to get to Philippi. And now the same is happening with this woman. God is working with this woman. He wants to see what this woman is made of. And then the wonderful thing is, he sees and and he's watching this woman. And this woman is committing herself to prayer. and, and, And finally she comes down to the riverside. And what does God do? He opens her heart. Boom. She's got the truth. But she'd been hearing and hearing and hearing, brothers and sisters. Those of us who were involved in instruction or campaign work, let us remember that. Let's remember that. It was then that God opened her heart. I wonder where we've seen that little phrase there, opening the heart. Come with me to Luke chapter 24. There's only one other occasion where we come across that couplet, open and heart. And it's a lovely one because this relates to the risen Lord. And and I think it's by referring back to the risen Lord and these events that take place on the road to Emmaus that we begin to understand and better appreciate what's happening in Acts chapter 16. So, So let's begin then. Luke chapter 24. Let me just show you the verse right away. Verse 32 And you know this, they were were the men and they were speaking to the risen Lord. They didn't recognize that he was the Lord and he opened up, didn't he, that the scriptures concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And what do they say as they reflect now upon the conversation they had with this man? And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened us to the scriptures? That's the only other time in the New Testament where we come across the word heart and opened that relates to Lydia in Acts chapter 16. And and it's interesting because it's here talking about the resurrected Lord and, and the message that the Lord made concerning his own death and glorious resurrection. So perhaps then what it's telling us is that this is what was happening here. As Paul spoke about the resurrected Lord, her heart was opened and it burned within her. And and keep a finger in Luke chapter 24. Come back to Acts chapter 16. I think um, this picture paints even further for us because look at this. We we see that she gets baptised and her family here. And what did she say? I need you to come back. I want to spend more time with you, she says. Verse 15 of Acts chapter 16. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Okay? Now with those thoughts in mind, come back to Luke chapter 24. And listen now to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 26 of Luke chapter 24. And the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further, so he just wanted to stay with them. And they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. That The message was so wonderful. It burned within their hearts. They did not want the Lord to go. Stay with us. And, and, And these men, they constrained the Lord Jesus Christ. And surely then that's what's being said in Acts chapter 16. Her heart was burning within her. She'd never heard the truth revealed in such a way. Here the the apostle Paul speaking with great authority. Her heart burned within her. And she wanted more. Just like the men on the road to Emmaus. And so come, come to my home. I want to hear more. And she constrained him. What a lovely picture of her heart burning within her. But brothers and sisters... What does this mean for us? Our little excitation. Is your heart opened? It's easy, isn't it, in weeks like this. But is it? Come with me to Psalm, the book of Psalm. Psalm 119. I just want to pick out one verse for you. Psalm 119. amazing psalm. I just want to pick out one verse. It's a short verse. I want you to think about it. Think about this woman Lydia, a Gentile, just like you and me. It's going to be brought into the covenant of promise. And the Lord opened her heart. What does that really mean? Does, Does God open up your heart so that you will listen to God's message? Well, well, surely that's not free will, is it? Well, perhaps Psalm 119 has the answer. Verse 18. The psalmist says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Just a short one. Let's read it again. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. What's the psalmist praying for? What's the psalmist praying for, brothers and sisters? Just look at that word and, and, and think about the answer. The psalmist is praying for God to help him to understand. Ah, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? To understand. Do you know, brothers and sisters, we can feel very arrogant as Christadelphians. We have the truth. There is no there is no argument against. We have the truth. When was the last time that you prayed for God to open your eyes so that you can understand God's truth? And you might think, well, Brother Stephen, that's a strange prayer to make because we have the truth. Yes, of course we have the truth. But we don't understand all of God's word, do we? And if you do, come and and show me afterwards. Why is it that we don't do that? That we pray to God to open up our eyes so that we can understand God's word and then to open our hearts so that we can learn the lesson. Brothers and sisters, maybe from this exhortation we'll commit more to doing that. And in my mind... This is what Lydia was doing. She came down to the riverside and she was praying to understand. Show me your truth. Show me your glory. Show me your way. Oh, they're the very statements that we hear all the way through Scripture. And she came with that in her heart. And right there and then, providentially, the Apostle Paul was there to answer all her questions. I want to go to one final reference and then we'll, we'll conclude this morning. Come with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're now going to pick up Paul now, later on in his life, and he reflects upon these dramatic events that took place earlier to, to bring him to Philippi. And this woman, she had Great business interest, didn't she? And and in many ways, it would have been imprudent for her to do these things and to listen to the Apostle Paul and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In many ways, she was giving everything up. And she would have given everything up in that type of culture and history. And so when we come to Philippians chapter 1, it's worth asking yourselves the question, brothers and sisters, what are you prepared to give up for God? What have you given up? Here's another example Of someone who gave up everything. Everything. And she's the first Gentile in the New Testament to receive the Gospel message. And she was a woman of great hospitality. And so here then, in in Philippians, and let's just read a couple of verses before we partake of the emblems. And Paul now thinks about Philippi and what's the thing, what's the overriding thing he remembers of Philippi? Philippians 1 verse 3, I thank my God upon always, or every remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. This ecclesia was the only ecclesia that helped Paul throughout all his ministry. And there he says, doesn't he? I've got it underlined in my Bible. From the first day until now, Paul says. He's in prison when he writes this epistle to the Philippians. And who met him on the first day? It was Lydia. And this ecclesia had been with Paul all the way through and now he's right near the end of his life. He's about to face Nero the emperor. And he says, you know, When I think about the way that God's worked in my life, it's you, brothers and sisters of Philippi. You've been with me all the way through. You've never stopped from the very first day. And where did that ecclesia get that level of hospitality from? Where did they get that mindset? Well, I would suggest it was Lydia. Lydia. Lydia was the one really that galvanised that ecclesia to be so loving to Paul all the way through. And that's why Paul had to make great haste across the waters to arrive at that time to talk to this wonderful woman that was going to be the first of many, many, many of which we are just a few. So brothers and sisters then, as we partake of these emblems now, I want us just to cast our minds on a few things and a few Points really. Some of us may be feeling deep frustration. We don't know what our role in the truth is. We don't see what direction God wants to take us in. And we come here this morning heavy hearted, not knowing what to do. Well, this is how God works. And if we commit ourselves to prayer, for you, brothers and sisters, there will be a Lydia just round the corner. Let's commit this morning that we will really seek the truth. We have the truth, but the truth of God's Word. Let's never open God's Word with closed eyes and closed ears, brothers and sisters. I can tell you, having just done kids' camp, you can learn from the youngest. And it was happening to me daily. Let's pray for God to give us understanding and to learn the lessons. And then the third point and the final point this morning is this. If you want God to work in your life, If you want God to direct you and your family to God's kingdom, which is something that unites all of us this morning, he expects you to act now in faith. It's a conditional promise. He is wanting you to do something first. And so as we think now of the Lord Jesus Christ who literally gave everything up, even his own life for you and for me. Ask yourselves the question, what are you prepared to give up?